Good morning. Today's reading from the Word of God comes from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, and Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Please follow along in your own Bibles on the screen behind me, or listen as I read the scriptures. Once again, that's Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, and Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology. At that time, children are invited to join Kids Rock through the door on your right. Hear the word of the Lord. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And from Matthew, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, church. My name is Brennan, one of the pastors here. I'm so glad to be worshiping with you this morning. Hello on the live stream. For those of us who are joining from home, we're so glad to be together this morning. Uh, we just want to take a minute, like we do every Sunday, to, to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us in whatever we brought into the room this morning, whether we have something going through our minds or we're hoping to hear a particular word from God. We want to invite God to speak to us as individuals and as a community. So we want to take some time to be quiet and do that for a moment, and then I'll open us with a word of prayer after a minute. Lord God, you are so faithful to show up in our stories in our community, in our lives, in our hearts. And we know that you're here right now. We know that you have so much to teach us and help us to grow in as we explore the fruit of the Spirit. So we pray that this morning as we explore the fruit of patience, you would show us exactly where we need to learn that in our lives and that this morning would be a small or a big step forward in learning who you are and how we can become more and more like you. We love you. We pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a special thank you to Kai and Hattie Questad for making some artwork for us today. I think they're probably down in Kids Rock, but um, Kai and Hattie just welcomed the little brother Arden into their family a few weeks ago along with their parents, Adam and Leah. Are Adam and Leah here? Hey, hi, Adam. Good to see you. Um, we're so excited for their family, and we're also happy for a special chance to celebrate just Kai and Hattie this morning. Um, so if you see them around Soul Food, just thank them for sharing their creativity with us. Kai and Hattie must be expert gardeners because somehow they knew that watermelon and blueberries are exactly this in the season in Massachusetts just this week. So we're going to have, like Pastor Ethan mentioned, we're going to have blueberry scones and muffins and watermelon during soul food this week, which is perfect. I have always loved watermelons and blueberries, but I never had a freshly picked one until I lived in Massachusetts. 
I grew up in a part of the country that was, wasn't great for growing fruits and vegetables, so we just had them shipped into the supermarket. Whenever we wanted a watermelon, we could just go get one all year round. I had no concept of planting a watermelon. Watermelons just kind of like grow in the supermarket overnight, right? But then I moved here and I started my own garden. I started to learn about how to grow fruits and vegetables and I learned that it can take up to 100 days to grow a watermelon and two or three years for a blueberry bush to produce any kind of fruit. Before the globalization of the food market, you can just have a blueberry anytime you wanted. You had to plant it, and then you had to tend it, and water it, and fertilize it, and then, then you had to wait for it. And I don't know about you, but I really don't like waiting for things, which is why I was not looking forward to this week's Fruit of the Spirit. I want what I want when I want it. We are right in the middle of our, our summer sermon series, which we're calling Organic, Fruit of the Spirit. And for the last month, we've been exploring what the book of Galatians calls the fruit that the Holy Spirit cultivates and produces in our lives when we are walking with Christ. So far in this series, we've looked at love, we've look, looked at joy and peace, and this week, we are looking at a fruit of the Spirit that I swore that I would never preach on, patience. Ugh. I didn't want to preach on patience because every single time, almost every single time that I preach a sermon, God puts me in some kind of scenario where I have to learn that thing, whatever it is that I'm preaching on, which is why I always propose that we should do sermons on being beautiful and rich. <laughs> I literally, in our brainstorming session, I told our team that I was totally fine preaching on basically any other fruit of the Spirit, but I did not want to have to learn patience. With the exception of maybe self-control, all of the other fruit of the Spirit feel pretty good right? We love to feel love. It's great to feel joy and peace and kindness, but patience? Patience means we have to wait two or three years for a blueberry. Blueberry now, please. I am not famous for my patience. I literally live five minutes away from here, and there was a, a day last week that I forgot my lunch at home, and my, my first thought was not, oh, I can just run home and grab it and be back in five minutes. It was, maybe Instacart can bring it to me. Instacart. Instacart doesn't do that yet. <laughs> there was one night this week that I was listening to another pastor's sermon on patience, and I was cooking dinner, and I realized that as I was listening to a sermon on patience, I was cutting corners in my recipe so that I could have dinner faster. Patience is not my favorite fruit of the Spirit. I would have preferred to preach on everyone's favorite fruit, love. But I'm very magnanimous, and so I let Pastor Ethan preach on love. I make him say that I'm magnanimous all the time. <laughs> Pastor Ethan did an amazing job opening the series. And he, he said one line that has really stuck with me the last couple weeks. He said, if the fruit of the Spirit were a painting, then love would be the first brush stroke. Love is the foundation for all the rest. Well, that got me thinking about love, which got me thinking about the famous passage in 1 Corinthians 13, which is arguably the most famous passage in the Bible about love, it's read at weddings, it's embroidered on pillows, it's so familiar it's almost become cliche. But as I was thinking about it this week, something stood out to me that I had literally never noticed before in this passage. The first word that 1 Corinthians 13 uses to describe what lo love looks like, it isn't love is warm fuzzies, it isn't love is feeling good, or, or love is roses and candles. The very first word that Paul uses to describe love is patience. Love is patient. So maybe I get to preach on love this week after all. Love and patience are linked. 
And maybe patience is part of how we love. Maybe patience tastes a little bitter in the moment, but it's eventually a sweet fruit after all. And maybe it's worth learning how to do. So if you brought your Bibles, I'd invite you to open up with me to the book of Matthew chapter 11, the passage that Amelia read for us a few minutes ago. So this morning, our main character is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. And John the Baptist has been a faithful follower of Jesus. He's literally been faithful since the womb. He'd been the voice calling in the wilderness. He, He spoke of one who was to come, a man who was more powerful than he was, a man who would baptize with Holy Spirit and with fire. He said stuff like, oh, you think I'm great? You just wait. Wait until you meet Jesus. I'm not even fit to tie his shoes. John had been talking about the day that Jesus would come for years. But at this point in the story, when Jesus is finally here and he's doing Jesus things, John seems to have lost his patience with Jesus. So he spits out a a question for his own disciples to take back to Jesus. He says, so Jesus, are you actually the Messiah? Or should we be waiting for someone else? So why is John asking this question at this point in the story. John had been the one telling everyone that Jesus was the Messiah. Well, at this point in the story, John is in prison. And he knew that Israel's prophets had taught that one of the markers of the Messiah was that they would be setting captives free and setting prisoners free. So the logic makes sense, right? John had believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and he believed that being the Messiah meant that you could break prisoners out of captivity. And John was in captivity. So if Jesus was the Messiah, that meant that he would be claiming victory over foreign oppressors, and that meant that he would have the keys to the prison, right? So what was taking so long? If Jesus wasn't breaking John out of there, was he really even the Messiah? It was a natural question. I think it's a pretty good one. It can be hard to wait on God when you're stuck behind prison bars, and the one you expected to break you out isn't. But Jesus, Jesus will not be hurried, not by John and not by us. Because John's question is our question too. Most of us, we aren't accustomed to waiting on things either. Patience is our Achilles heel. The average attention span these days is eight seconds, which is less than a goldfish whose attention span is nine seconds. And that's so encouraging for me right now. I lost most of you at Good Morning, My Name is Bryn. We live in a world of instant everything, instant cereal, instant soup, instant coffee, instant milk, instant credit, instant delivery, instant pots, instant glue, instant pain relief, instant whitening teeth, instant message. And if it isn't instant, at least it's fast, right? We have fast food, fast fashion, speed dating. We have overnight delivery, self-checkout, Netflix. I was talking with a friend a few months ago, and she was saying that she was talking with a younger colleague who said that her TV streaming service was doing something totally innovative. They were releasing one episode of a TV show a week. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having to wait a whole week for the next episode of a TV show instead of being able to binge watch the entire season at once? In the olden days, they used to send messages by couriers and carrier pigeons and magical flying owls. Now, we feel anxiety when we see these little gray dots appear too long on our phones. I feel anxiety right now. Is it any wonder, is it any wonder that we get impatient with God? But if it isn't just our day-to-day hurry or our fast everything that makes us impatient, 
It's the big things too, right? The life things. The things we, we don't know the outcome for. Those things are also hard to be patient for. For the day when, right? For the day when I get to go to college. The day when I find the spouse, buy the house, get pregnant, get the promotion. Figure out my calling in life. Or maybe it's the day when I will finally kick that habit, get in shape, change my mindset. The day when I'll heal from that trauma, heal from the wounds, heal from the sickness, heal from the estrangement, heal from that old pain, heal from that old shame. The day when we'll finally see all the wrongs made right in the world, when everyone will have enough to eat, when racial and gender justice will finally win, when violence will end and wars will cease. And in the meantime, as we wait, and God just seems to be taking God's sweet time, Sometimes the most natural question in the world is, when? And after a while, are you even who you say you are? Or should we be worshiping someone else? When life just seems to be taking so long to happen, it's easy to wonder after a while if it's worth the allegiance of our souls to this God who makes promises on God's time and in God's terms. Or if it would be better just to grab whatever we can for ourselves in the meantime. And still, the God of Scripture never works on our timetables. God always seems to wait until the last second to defuse the bomb. The entire Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, is this story of the painstakingly slow movement of God to redeem the people from slavery, from oppression, from themselves. All throughout the story, we see that there is no human system that God can't or won't dismantle. There is no story, no injustice, no life that God can't transform. But it just takes so long. Scholars debate just how long the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, and, and they kind of estimate it could have been anywhere from two to 400 years. Why didn't God hurry the heck up? Why were there so many years of pain and waiting? And there are countless other stories like that in Exodus. Wilderness wanderings, decades in exile, hundreds of years of waiting for a Messiah who never seemed to come. The most frequently asked question in the Psalms is why. But the second most frequently asked question in the Psalms is how long? How long? How long are we supposed to wait? How long are we supposed to put up with this? How long is this going to take? And are we even putting our faith in the right place? Some of us have grown impatient with God or with each other because we're used to the, those kind of dopamine hits of reward when we get a text message or an email or some other kind of instant gratification in our lives. But I think for the people in the Bible, I think for the people as they waited and for John the Baptist as he waited and so often for us, it's, it's just hard to be patient because it's so hard to put our faith in an ending that we can't see. It's hard to trust an outcome that we haven't experienced. It's hard to know if this is truly the Messiah or if we should be waiting for someone else. Because when you think about it, even when the Messiah does come, Jesus never seems to be in any kind of hurry either. I mean, think about Jesus' life. He arrived on earth under very special circumstances. He had a, a vocational, unprecedented weight on his shoulders. And yet he spent most of his life working as a carpenter in some obscure town. No rush to begin his public ministry, no push to get things going, no hurry toward notoriety. Just the slow, careful process of manual labor. 
And then when he is ready to start his ministry, his first sermon in his hometown is so controversial that the listeners want to kill him. They gather to push him off a cliff. But the Gospel of Luke just says, Jesus passed by in the midst of the crowd. Doesn't seem worried. He took his time getting places. He could only be one place at a time, so he traveled on the speed of foot. There's one story about a time that Jesus and his disciples are, are walking to Samaria, Samaria, and he tells them that he's tired. They, they should go ahead and grab food. He's going to stay back and rest. And when they come back, he's just shooting the breeze with some random Sumerian woman, like he has all the time in the world. Back then, no Jewish man in his right mind would talk to a woman in public, let alone a woman like this. But Jesus doesn't seem all that concerned with appearances. He just takes the time to see her, connect with her. There's one story about Jesus and his disciples. They're in a boat, and the storm hits, and the storm is so severe that the disciples are terrified and Jesus is taking a nap. At one point, his teachings are so challenging. The crowds are thinning, and the disciples are dropping out all over the place. And his friends say, hey, Jesus, let's, just, let's go to Jerusalem. Let's get some momentum back. And Jesus says, nah, it's not the time. Jesus goes through his life at the pace of a blueberry. He's slow. He's unhurried. He's patient. Nothing about God in Scripture seems to happen on our timetable. But maybe that's part of the point. So many of you know that we are, like Pastor Ethan mentioned, we're in the process of, of changing our name as a church. And part of that process meant that we took a few months to kind of step back and reflect on our identity and who we are and who God is inviting us to become in this next season. It was a really beautiful process. And I'll have a chance to share more of our findings with you next month. Uh, but one thing came up in our com the conversations that we had and the survey responses and our vision breakfast conversations that was really fascinating to me. So lots of people mentioned that they appreciate our preaching here at our church, so thank you. A handful of people mentioned that they like the sermons themselves, but more people than mentioned that they like the sermons themselves, most people who talked about our preaching talked about something else. They said they appreciate the fact that our pastoral team works together to write sermons. They like the fact that we brainstorm and we study together, that we swap ideas and share stories, and then that at the end, when we have a manuscript, that we edit each other's sermons before anyone gets up here to preach. In other words, what people appreciate most about our preaching is not the end product of the sermon. It's the process that it takes to get there. I'm glad that our church appreciates that about our preaching, and intellectually, I appreciate it too. But when I'm in it, I can't wait to get to the product part. I can't wait to get to the finish line. But here's the thing. I can't preach this sermon without the sermon writing process. The process to get to the product, it takes time and energy and heart and conversations and observations and studying and the painstaking process of learning a little bit better how to be patient so I can get up here and talk about it with an ounce of integrity. I can't get to a good sermon without learning how to live in it first. I can't tell you about patience without learning how to be patient. And that's true of all of life, whether we're up here preaching sermons or not. We can't be patient people without the process of learning how to be patient people. It's as simple and as hard as that. If we really want to see change in our lives, and if we really want to see change in our world, it's going to be a process. And so in this knowledge, Jesus responds to John and to all of us, all of us who 
experience life impatiently at one time or another, impatient with each other, impatient for God to act, impatient with ourselves as we take one baby step forward, Jesus tells the disciples, go give John the evidence. Evidence, yes. What evidence? He said, look. Look at what I'm doing. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor receive good news. Only the Messiah can do things like that. But there's something else that I noticed actually this morning as I was studying. Something beautiful in the Greek verbs that we miss in the English translations. So for all of us who are grammar nerds, the verbs in the Greek are in the present indicative active, which means that Jesus isn't saying something that used to happen in the past tense. He's not saying something that he plans to do in the future. These are the things that are happening right now in the present. The blind are receiving sight. The lame are walking. In other words, Jesus isn't pointing out the finished product of the kingdom to prove to John that he's the Messiah. He's showing him the process it's taking to get there. John's answer to John is to tell him to look around, not at what hasn't happened yet or what will happen in the future, but at what is happening in the kingdom now. Whatever John expected, Jesus isn't finished with it yet. And if bringing sight, healing, cleansing, hearing, resurrection, and good news are not enough, then there's more that Jesus can do and will do and is doing. And so Jesus says to us, start looking for the evidence of the process. When you're feeling impatient for things to be changed already, look for ways that they're already changing. Look for evidence in the lives of the people you know. Look for evidence in your own life. Or remember memories of ways that God has been faithful to you in the past. When you feel impatient with other people in ways that you want them to change or they aren't changing yet, ask, what seeds of the kingdom can you see growing in them now in the present indicative active? What seeds are growing in yourself? What if instead of getting impatient with ourselves or with each other, what if instead of pointing out places that someone else is lacking, what if we pointed out ways that they're growing in the kingdom? What if together, as a community, we helped fertilize the seeds that God has been planting in us? I mean, think about it. A baby watermelon is still a watermelon, even if it's not fully ripe yet. And a mustard seed-sized kingdom is still evidence of the kingdom, even if it's not fully inaugurated yet. Every kind of fruit needs time to grow and to mature. So what if we didn't focus so much on what isn't fully grown yet and looked for evidence of what's growing? It, there's something else interesting that I noticed. The things that Jesus says are the work of the Messiah. So John seems to be expecting this big grand gesture, this big powerful leader who's just going to unlock the prison and break him out of prison now. But Jesus points John toward little things, seemingly insignificant things that are happening. The kingdom of God is happening in the lives of people who will probably never make history in that world, to people who are on the margins of that society. It grows as people are empowered to shed their labels as lepers and join in as members of the community. The kingdom of God grows as people who would have been ignored, the poorest and the most vulnerable, the least powerful and the most oppressed, are the first ones to receive the good news of the kingdom of God. Because our God doesn't work in the way that many of us would work if we were God's with a billboard and a press release and lots of noise. There are those moments in scripture of bigness and nowness with God, for sure. But more often than not, our God works slowly, little by little, through burning bushes and stubborn donkeys and widow's mites 
and little kids and lilies and sparrows and shepherds and fishermen and prostitutes and prodigals. And God inaugurates the kingdom through a baby in a manger who would grow up to be a convict on a cross. Jesus' reply to John urges patience. Patience as we see the kingdom of God growing all around us in unexpected places, even as we wait for it to come to fruition already. God's plans for us are not finished. There are surprises around every corner if we will take the time to look for them. Now before we move on, a few quick words about what patience is not. Patience does not mean just grinning and bearing it. It doesn't mean staying still, giving up, waiting around. Patience does not mean acting passive or lacking urgency or failing to hold people accountable or tolerating injustice. Sometimes people are caught up in unjust systems or they're living in abusive households or relationships and they're told to just just be patient, stick it out, things will change, or, or maybe you'll be in heaven one day and it'll be better then. But just standing by and watching systems that hurt people or you, that's not patience. That's tolerance. Tolerance of hurt, tolerance of pain, tolerance of destructive choices that move the people that we love away from the people that God intended them to be. But patience, patience engages. Patience won't let things stay as they are because because it's confidence in the ending of the story. It means planting our hope so firmly in true justice that will reign one day. It means aligning ourselves so strongly with God's promises for what the world has been created to be like, that we can advocate fearlessly for it now and be part of it growing and becoming. And patience, on an individual level, patience also does not mean that all the wrongs in our world will be righted in the way that we imagine that they will or that things will turn out the way that we want them to all the time. The hard truth is that even when we're patient for God to act, this life still may not go the way that we expect it to. And we don't always get an answer for why. Being patient doesn't mean that our stories will turn out the way that we want them to right now, but it does mean trusting that the story that God is writing for us is bigger than the story that we're imagining for ourselves. God doesn't necessarily intend for you to earn the high paycheck or have perfect physical health. God doesn't necessarily intend for that relationship to work out or for all of your problems to go away right now or even for you to win some awards for your brilliant humanitarian efforts. The good news is that God's story is bigger than that. I like how writer C.S. Lewis put it. He said, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. God's story for you, it's bigger than the story that you're writing for yourself. The plot line of God's story isn't for you to get everything that you want in this life. In the plot line of God's story, we become like Christ along the way. So Jesus Jesus responds to John, Look at the ways that the story is moving along. Even when you can't see the end, look at what's happening along the way. But there's something else I love about Jesus' response to John. When John asks his disciples to, to go out and see if Jesus is really the Messiah, Jesus doesn't respond personally himself. 
He doesn't go back to John in the prison and perform some miracles in front of him to prove anything. John stays in prison throughout the whole story, and Jesus doesn't visit him. Jesus tells the disciples to go tell John what they've seen. The evidence, the proof that John needed, it wasn't shown to John face to face. It came through the word and the stories and the testimonies of the disciples through what other people had seen. Because when we are at our best, when we are being the people in the community that God has intended us to be, then the church can be this gift to us, that we don't have to have faith alone, that we don't have to see who Jesus is alone, to know who Jesus is alone. The church witnesses for us and with us and to us. And even when we're locked in a dark holding cell, even when we found ourselves waiting on a God that we have just about given up on, we can lean on the light that our community has seen on our behalf. So church, here's our invitation this week. It's to look together for where God is moving now. Not for where we're waiting for God to move, but how God is moving now. Sometimes in the little places. Sometimes in what seems like an insignificant place. And if you're having a hard time seeing it, ask someone else what they're seeing. How are they experiencing God? Our invitation is to tell stories of God's movement and to ask for stories of God's movement and to listen to stories of God's movement, to look for the evidence and then to share it. Sometimes we find ourselves in a John the Baptist season. We need to ask someone to show us what Christ is doing in the world because try as we might, we just can't see it personally. And sometimes we're in a season like the disciples. And our job is to run back to the John the Baptist in prison and tell them what we have experienced personally. So when you think about it, what season are you in? Do you need evidence right now? Or do you have some evidence to share? Well, in the end, God did teach me some patience this week. And I'm going to close with a few ways how. I did not want to learn this fruit. But it ended up being such an indescribable gift to me as I saw and heard Christ moving in the present indicative active. So I didn't see the world's food insecurity get fully eradicated this week. But I saw our church break ground on a food locker that we're hosting to help feed those struggling with food insecurity in Beverly. I didn't see full healing of all the world's family systems this week. But I got an email from a family in our church who were sharing that they had decided to adopt three kids out of foster care. I didn't see God heal every health issue in the world this week, but I was invited to pray with someone who is trusting God with their health issue. I didn't see full restoration of a broken academic system yet, but I watched someone in our church advocate for black and indigenous people of color to have more and better access to quality education nationwide and actually make some progress. I didn't see everyone in the world fully transformed into people who look like Christ yet. But I saw a dad in our church rely on the spirit for strength to set healthy boundaries so that he can model for his daughter what healthy boundaries look like. I didn't see the, the earth heal from climate change this week. But I saw kids in our church pick up trash. I saw a life group do some gardening and weeding so that we could take better care of the earth than the week before. I didn't see an end to human trafficking this week. But I saw a group in our church help furnish a home for survivors of human trafficking so that they would have a safe place to heal. I didn't see an end to housing insecurity in the world. But I saw a couple in our church offer to host someone temporarily who's trying to get back on their feet. I was talking with someone from our church who's struggling to make sense of faith right now with the way that the world is. And I heard her courageously say, I can't figure out what the world needs, 
or what the church should look like right now. But I could do a target run for seniors who are homebound, and maybe that's one way that I contribute to what the world needs on behalf of the church. I saw people in our church praying for each other in transition, supporting each other in recovery, listening to each other with empathy, holding space for each other's questions, feeding strangers who are grieving the loss of a loved one, and being patient with each other in the process. I did not see all the captives in the world released this week, but as we wait in patience for that day, I did see the blind receiving sight, the lame walking, those who have leprosy being cleansed, the deaf hearing, the dead being raised, and good news being proclaimed to the poor. I'm not patient enough for watermelons and blueberries to grow on my timetable, but God is teaching me patience and a bigger story through you. So as the band comes up, I'll close with a blessing by a French priest named Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. It's a little long, but we're not in a hurry, right? He says this, Above all, trust in the slow work of God. Trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything. To reach the end without delay, we should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. And yet, it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a very long time. And so I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on as though you could be today what grace will make of you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that God's hand is leading you and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. Amen.